My name is Julie Kraft and I have bipolar 2 disorder. I'm Shaylee Hugendorn and I live with bipolar 2 disorder. I was diagnosed 10 years ago at the age of 36. I was told of my diagnosis and I remember being relieved but also terrified. I know um, the perceptions and the stigma that goes along with it. I started sharing my story about four or five years ago. I decided to come forward and start sharing. It's led to me meeting the most amazing people walking the same path. So we had talked about collaborating. My greatest hope is that others will hear our stories and feel less alone. We can offer insight and give the world a real life living example of what bipolar disorder can look like. This is bipolar. This is Bipolar. Hi everyone, welcome to episode four. We cannot believe that we are here and still going. This episode is going to be a big one. If you don't already know, my name is Shaylee Hugendorm. I am a mama, a wife, a teacher, an event planner. I also vlog at She Loves Magazine with a series called Sisters in Mental Illness. And I like to think that I'm a pretty fierce advocate. And so that's a little bit about me. I would love Julie to introduce herself. So my name is Julie Kraft. I'm also gonna put myself in that category, uh, a fierce mental health advocate. I'm also, I'm a wife, I'm a mom an artist, an author, but at this point in my life, I am so thrilled to be able to pour my time and my energy into advocacy. So whether that is in person, online, um, or on paper, I'm just super duper excited to share. So happy to be here. Yay. So first off, we want to tell you, this is a big episode for us because it's very raw and it's leading up to our diagnosis. So, um, in order to be honest with you and real, we actually almost need to go back there, which brings up a lot of feelings. So we wanna be real if we cry, if we seem like we're anxious, those kinds of things, it's because uh, you almost have to relive it to be real. And so we just wanted to put that out there right yeah. away so that we have permission to um, just be where it takes us, right? Right. And we also, when we started this, when we were initially planning it, we thought, do we just film on the days when we're feeling amazing? But the truth is there's no cure for bipolar disorder and we definitely still have days that are better than others. And so if I'm going to be completely honest, um, today is not the best day for me, but we wanted to come on here no matter, no matter our mood and just be real. So feeling a little bit like that but still this this is us just wanting to show up and be our authentic selves no matter where we're at um mm -hmm. mentally so all of those disclaimers yeah. and i'll also throw in the disclaimer about my hair <laughs> we're still um in the uh corona virus pandemic and so i think it's been seven or eight weeks now so those are all the disclaimers we'll put out there for this episode. <laughs> exactly. And I have the red lipstick because you know what, when you're kind of talking about being a hot mess, I feel like I'm a hot mess in here. So maybe it could not be here. <laughs> so now that we have all that out and actually that's really a beautiful thing because it explains a little bit of how we overthink things and also 
uh, how if we're not totally comfortable, um, we, we can't focus. So I feel like now that we have that out there, we can focus the best we can or not or, or not and we are covered <laughs> we are covered we are covered so this episode what we really want to focus on is the leading up and one of the things i wanted to state before we started we only have a limited amount of time so we will probably be talking about the more of the bizarre behavior or the um the things that uh, people might not consider regular everyday kind of moods or attitudes and such. I do want to say we have had huge stretches of normal times. We have, um, we're living, you know, a day to day in that, but we are going to focus on the really hard things. So um, yeah, just imagine that this isn't every single day for us. Right. And I, I want to put that out there because one, if you're feeling it too, um, and you think, oh, they're like that all the time. I must not have, you know, a mental health disorder. There's very, very normal days. Yeah. And also so that other people will understand because sometimes we take the stereotype and we think that is all and we apply it to everyone that has a diagnosis. Yeah, that's such a good point. Um, it's so easy too for us to focus on those times that aren't as stable or those those few episodes where you know things are really out of control and we need to also remind ourselves um those maybe account for only a few days out of our entire life and so i think i used to just focus in on those worst times and let those define me so that's another thing even for for us ourselves to to remember that those few moments um they don't define us they don't set the course for the future but like you said i think it's so important for us to to go there today and be vulnerable and share those things that are hardest to share i think that's where sometimes there's the greatest chance for people to sit there and go okay, I'm not this horrible monster. Um, you know, my behavior isn't the worst of the worst. So that is our intent. That's where our heart is. Yeah. Where I would love to get started is just um, leading up to it. I know we have uh, different stories and different timelines. And I would love to hear maybe, um, yeah, maybe back to just tell me about that. Tell me about how that works for you. Right. Okay. So I was married very young. I was 21 at the time. Um, my husband and I were almost ready to celebrate our 25th anniversary. And so from even from dating, from being newlyweds through becoming a mom at 23, I always had this ongoing anxiety, which for me, um, grocery shopping, driving, parking, sometimes even showering and the thought of having to get ready, get out of the house, um, all of those things made me so anxious. So that was very constant and daily um, for 14 years. And so I lived undiagnosed, unmedicated, untreated, and that affected my friendships. Um, my kids and my husband in so many different ways. I could literally talk for hours about how specifically, you know, they were each affected. But long story short, 
things basically built up and built up. Um, I was frustrated and angry with myself, with the world. I was unable to set boundaries. And so 14 years of that, and then covered all of my pain, all of those struggles with either a mask and a giant smile, um, or a lot of pride. A lot of pride, I think, was on top of all of it. And I just, I didn't want to reach out for help. Um, I didn't want anyone to know how much I was struggling. And so 14 years of that, that's what my life looked like. Um, I could go into more specific details, but that's sort of how my life looked. And then, you know, I did sort of get to that point. And I'll go mm -hmm. into that a bit later. But I'm so curious because we have the same diagnosis. We know a little bit of our stories, but I think we have different experiences. So I'm so curious to know about anxiety for you. Was mm -hmm. it ongoing daily or did it come more as, you know, an anxiety or a panic attack? Yeah. Yeah. So if you were to look up different things about bipolar, I do fall into um, a category that is cyclical there. And in fact, it to like the week. So um, even though there's underlying things there and there could be back and forth, um, the, but, you know, the overwhelming feeling of depression would hit, I think I've covered this before, if you listen to our other episodes, yeah. around November, little blip because Christmas, and then by mid-January, I just was numb and gray and couldn't get out of, of that. Um, type of thinking and just overwhelming just grief and um, and then guilt because I actually had the life I wanted and there wasn't anything to be sad for but I was so so sad and that would um, last until my birthday's in April just around um, mid to end April and honestly those years um, I just felt like the whole time I was holding on to get to the next stage. And um, I think that unlike you, uh, unlike your story, um, I did reach out for help. Uh, I was that desperate in the depressions, right? Like I just, just the fact that I, I knew something was wrong because I, I knew that I actually wasn't sad. I knew that I loved my life. I knew that I was pursuing my dream, um, you know, getting my degree in education. So I couldn't understand why I couldn't get out of it. And I couldn't do the things I needed to get out of it, like walk. So basic walk or, you know, eat healthy or whatever, because I'd get into this controlling eating. And um, I, I did go for help during periods of that and try different antidepressants. But none of them worked so eventually i just stopped and i just believed it was my lot in life to have to wait um and it actually saddens me so much because i want to believe and say oh it's all for good but honestly like that just seems like so much wasted time and it makes me um yeah really really sad and before i tell you a little bit about the year leading up and the mania um, I would love to hear, I know you say that there's um, a lot of pride and a lot of things like, you know, that covering up and such, but I would imagine, and tell me if I'm wrong, that a lot of that was steeped in deep fear. 
Definitely. There was definitely fear um, just of what getting help would actually look like. There was the fear of losing my kids and there was the fear of losing the respect of my, my friends. Um, you know, I served on the board at my um, daughter's elementary school. So, you know, I thought, am I still going to be eligible for that? Am I going to get kicked off or viewed as, you know, less than, I was so worried that if I received a mental health diagnosis, you know, that would label me unsafe or dangerous. I didn't want to embarrass um, my husband in any way, but I just wanted to keep everything under wraps. And what I falsely assumed was that I could do that for the rest of my life. I assumed my husband would put up with me lashing out on him. I assumed my kids weren't being affected by my inability to have birthday parties or, you know, play dates. I just told them up front, those are off limits. Mom can't handle spur of the moment anything. So I had kind of convinced, convinced myself that I could really live that way, but I was miserable, yet I was very different from you. I did not want to reach out for help. I had convinced myself that I could somehow hang on. And I think you experienced more of the depression side of bipolar too. And for me, I didn't have those long periods of debilitating depression. It was more anxiety. And then actually those untamed bursts of hypomania, which we haven't really talked about yet. Mm. So, yes. So um, tell me about, I'm so curious about, let's back up a little bit. Let's back and, up, go, let's go. <laughs> um, parenthood, because I think that I was, you know, here, but I think that the hormones and things, I think that that started a little bit. Um, more of the roller coaster with me because we know lack of sleep and, and all of those things. Um, I'm curious about you talk about like the play dates and the, those kinds of things. Um, did you try them and have anxiety or just the thought of it? Walk me through what you're thinking, what you think might happen, what, what your biggest fear was. Right. So I was much better when my kids were younger. Um, and so we did, we had a big VeggieTales party, we had a little mermaid party, but I always, I think, compared myself to other moms and what they could do, all the while not realizing that I had a very real biological mental health condition. But when you don't know that and you don't realize that, it's so easy to feel unworthy, inadequate. And so in those early years, I think I was just trying to keep up, but... I would be stressed out leading up to it. I would be, you know, beyond stress the day of. Everything from getting the decor perfect to small talk with the people. Is everybody having a good time? Is Billy is going to get hurt over there on the slide? Oh no, you know, Susie's not talking to anyone. I just, I took all of that on and it was just so heavy. And then, you know, just everything, every small detail that you could imagine. And then, so the party would end and it would take me a week or two just to recover. As the years went on, um, leading up to my diagnosis, the birthday parties were few and far between. And, you know, that's something that I am embarrassed and ashamed of because my kids, they, they absolutely deserve to have a birthday party of some sort. And so now that I've learned my limits, I can, you know, set boundaries and I've figured out what works for me. A birthday party now would maybe look like, you know, pick one or two friends, 
let's go to a movie, let's go out for dinner, keep the party out of our house. Um, you know, now the birthday parties, my kids are older now, but you know, I'm absolutely planning my daughter's 13th, something special, but something that won't, you know, send me into a spiral. So, you know, yeah, my kids missed out on birthday parties and then play dates, terrified by the drop off and the pickup of the child at my door? Would I get caught in a conversation? Would the parent want to come in and visit? My house, is my house perfect? How am I going to end? What if they want to stay for dinner? Just, ah. So I ended up telling my kids, no play dates. And you are not allowed to spring anything on me. And, you know, looking back, my kids, they missed out on so many play dates. And, you know, I would even prevent them from going over to other kids' homes for play dates for the same reason. Pickup time. Was I going to be invited in for a cup of iced tea? I, I, you know, I wish I could just drive by and they would throw my child out and they'd plop in the car. But, you know, even Halloween brought so much angst and anxiety, you know, pint-sized trick-or-treaters in costumes. And even that, you know, am I going to need to start a conversation with their parents? Is the candy going to be okay? So when we talk about anxiety, I know, you know, Sometimes we don't understand the depth of anxiety that someone like myself can experience. So, you know, I think when I actually describe these things, I think hopefully it will help any listeners understand the depth and how crippling that was in everyday situations that other people, right. you know, I know other moms, they're just so thrilled to plan the next birthday party. The more people, the better, you know, let's get a bouncy castle and five pinatas. And that's just not me. But, you know, if I had to describe my kids and how it affected them specifically, um, yes, that's. And that's okay. That's okay. I love, that's okay that, that, that isn't who you are. And I feel this extreme pressure. Like it wasn't like when my parents were young, it was like, I remember being overwhelmed because I was staying home and like, I didn't have the money to do the swimming lesson at like this and this and this. And I wanted to them because I mean, this is where we're very opposite is that I'm an extreme extrovert. Yeah. Um, okay. And so my, and I'm an event planner. So I did those birthdays, but I think that my husband suffered a little bit because right leading up to it and whatever, I was like, um, not kind. And and I did want, I, I didn't want it to be so much as perfect, but I wanted to execute the idea in my head and my, my ideas were very big. But I was very different than you, almost the opposite in that I didn't want to be home alone for long periods of time, just me or just me and the kids, because I didn't, I didn't feel like I could rationally filter my thoughts. So when I was depressed, I just wanted company to escape my thoughts. And then when I was hypomanic, I just wanted to be with them because then I knew I wouldn't do something um, erratic or whatever, because I could check in, like, you know, about the idea and I could watch their face if I tell the idea and if they were like, and mind you, I do have, a, I pull off a lot of the things because of this like to sometimes my detriment or other people's detriment, sometimes not um, because I refused 
to be someone that didn't the stereotype of not finishing starting and not finishing however some of the things i should have let go to do some of the other things because i couldn't choose properly and i would like drive myself to the ground to not quit the thing and i also i never thought of myself as a pleaser because i don't have problem with like confrontation and i'm very um i'm very it is more painful to me in the moment and there to not say the thing and obsess later than to say the thing and obsess later. I just, I don't have much of an inner monologue and I just hope that sometimes that my charm will cover up for that. <laughs> oh, but yeah, exactly. And I realize now like, and then of course on the outside, I looked like I had it together because I was showered with makeup and out of the house by nine with two kids that were 23. Wow. But that was my coping mechanism is yeah. getting out like the long days at home, not so much. And I, uh, you know, I'm not trying to make myself sound perfect. It's actually a very different hard stage right now in the age that my kids are. Tweens. Yeah. But like I'm an elementary school teacher and littles are my, and babies and littles are my thing. So I actually created probably two elaborative days for them, right? There was this craft and this craft. And I was like, had the whole neighborhood over with puppets. And, but wow. I, I didn't know how to take breaks. And so eventually you do crash or in the evenings, once the kiddos were in bed, yeah. um, I had a hard time, you know, uh, nitpicky with my husband or and also just um just irritable yeah I'm curious were you able to keep up that energy and these events and going out during your more depressive episodes or if I was looking from the outside would I notice oh Shaylee's been MIA for a while or did you just push through and keep going because I know there are very different extremes when you're hypomanic versus depressed. For me, it's a, it's an entirely different story. I am either a hundred percent on fire or yeah. So I'm just curious for you yeah, throughout point. your, you know, different seasons. Um, were you able yeah. to sustain that level of energy? Mm -hmm. So from the outside except for the few friends that i would tell i don't think it was noticeable only because i would get the up at christmas so yeah. i would plan the things right and then um my one daughter's birthday is at the end of november which is exactly when i would start crashing so it's almost like after her birthday party would start perfect um but the thing is the depression was during the winter months so I could stay home more and it wouldn't be considered out of character because it was the winter months and everyone was staying. So I could hide behind that. And I forced myself, even though like I was numb and wanted to be with my friends, of course, and it was a beautiful distraction, but I forced myself to still go to the book club and because I joined all the clubs and, and all that kind of thing. And it actually really frustrates me when people tell me that I I'm doing too much or things like that. Cause I, we have all have different baselines and my capacity is now that I've harnessed it, my capacity to do those things uh, is a lot um, higher. Like I think even if I didn't have this, I'm naturally, uh, uh, you know, a hyper um, and I find joy in organizing and very interesting. I, I think I'm one of those people because I think some days we've been planning this show and um, you've been able to, you know, 
let me know what you've been up to. And I hear that and I'm just like, wow. And I'm a slow paced turtle. I do fewer things, but I think I'm more of a perfectionist. And so that's where, thank goodness, I've learned to not compare myself. And I know even with the show, we have different gifts, which makes it work like clockwork. So I'm so thankful for your ability to do that. And thank goodness I've stopped measuring my productivity um, to yours. And I think too, one isn't better than the other. Our society is big on productivity. So I think that was a downfall for me because I got praised. And when you get for how much I did and those comments and all of those things. So then the pressure to be that when I didn't feel like that was where the big harm came in, right? Hearing you speak about sort of being able to hide, you know, behind the winter months and the Mm -hmm. weather, I never gave myself permission to do that. And so even though I had this overwhelming anxiety, I at all costs and most of the time, you know, my happiness and my sanity, you know, I'll go ahead and say that, um, you know, I would in public go to those mom groups and it would just suck the life out of me. But I felt like I needed to have a big smile, be the life of the party. And so to put on that act and that level of energy, even over a week's period of time was just so emotionally and physically exhausting. And so, you know, I would get home every night and just, oh, unload, unleash, you know, my husband was my punching bag. And so ultimately that caught up with me, you know, and I just sort of fell apart. I'm curious though. So you have this underlying anxiety and and that kind of thing. I'm curious And then you say unleash, and I'm assuming that that's anger. That's anger, mean behavior. You know, my husband and my kids, they had nowhere to escape. They were on my emotional roller coaster with no way of getting off. And not only were they trapped in, you know, a frustrated, angry mom, um, you know, lashing out, being unkind to my husband, um, you know, snapping at my kids. And thank goodness now I've been able to go back and explain it was never you, you know, to say to my kids, I wanted, I had the best intentions of giving you a birthday party, but I was so incredibly frustrated and overwhelmed by just the average everyday things that that was sort of my way of dealing with it. And I just, I was in such a state that they just happened to be the innocent victims. And so, you know, we, we try not to beat ourselves up with guilt, but I absolutely have feelings of shame and just regret over the things that they did miss out. And I think there's a healthy balance of sort of acknowledging it because it makes me want to do my very best now going forward with Ah, Shaylee, where's the tissue? Um, you know, I, it's not too late. Kids are resilient and, you know, partners can be loving and shower us with grace and forgiveness when we need it. Um, and so I need to now, you know, realize the impact, not beat myself up so much, but just say from this moment forward, I have an opportunity to step up, take responsibility and do my very best to stay well. And in the moments that I don't wanna do it for myself, I need to do it for my husband and my kids. And I'm about to completely lose it. So 
I am passing the baton over. Yeah, friend. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. I can so feel healing. that. I feel that. Um, yes. One of the things that um, I've actually read about that, I mean, it's, it's horrible but comforting in that um, I always thought I was like this negative, like angry person because uh, my brain remembers the bad thing. So we'll have a perfect day and one bad thing will happen or I'll say something that later I think is stupid. Um, I'll only remember that. Yeah. Right. And I've done that in my childhood and other things. So I have worked really hard really hard to see the other things because it's very easy to put myself down it's very easy to do the whole oh you know my husband is amazing but oh he's a saint or yeah. oh you know putting up with you Shaylee or that kind of thing those are a lot of things I put on myself and so I uh, in that year of unraveling I call it yeah um, I have to look back and see that there was periods where I was a good mom. And I bet you there was amazing periods where you were a good mom and a good wife too. And um, I just want to say that just in case there's other people in that spiral, yeah. try your hardest. It feels weird at first, but eventually it'll become habit to practice gratitude and to practice. And let me tell you still, sometimes it's hard. Like I, I still struggle and I don't do well with it all happened for a reason. I know lots of people. I say that all the time. <laughs> I know and lots of people need uh, like need to hold on to that and that makes them feel better and we need yeah. to know what makes us feel better. But it does yeah. not for me. Like yeah. it yeah. just and yeah. that and that's and that's what I think is so so great wherever we are. And yes, by default, I'm always looking for the silver lining. And I know sometimes it it can even, you know, I've got negative feedback for that, that I'm living in this dream world because bipolar only is this horrific thing. But, you know, um, I, yeah, I never want to sort of gloss over the fact that there, you know, there is a lot of negative and yes, there is a lot of hurt and heartache and pain. Um, so, but yes, I, I, I just, I love, I love the two, the two different. Yeah. I think we balance each other out and I think I'm learning to hold this like even right now the both and yeah, yeah. it can be both terrible and hard and yeah. frustrating and it can be beauty and it can be um growth and it could be make us the the type of people so I can I've learned to hold both because I used to think Absolutely. it had to be one or the other and I think this has been healing to me yeah. because I need to sit in those feelings. Sometimes I need to feel like it is completely unfair. Yeah. And then sometimes I need to, and if I don't let those feelings move through my body, they're not going to go away. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get into, Oh, I, I just love learning. I had one other thought. Hang on, hang tight with me here. This is how yes. our minds work. They whirl and sometimes things spit out and it's hard to get them back. It'll come back. So when it comes back, it, we need a flag or a bell or something. Yeah. Um, yes, it'll come back. It'll come back. I always joke with my husband, let's have a sign. But then he's like, but you already make ridiculous signs. I want to be like, come, it, come, just, come. it just came back. Okay, good. And I think when I get so overwhelmed in any of those feelings of um, shame over some of the things, I have to remind myself too. I had an undiagnosed biological mental health condition that was not treated that I did not know how to manage 
I didn't understand what was going on, that some of my frustrations were from not being able to, you know, get a good night's sleep or set boundaries with other people. And so I think the minute I remember that and remind myself that that, that undiagnosed bipolar disorder was a very massive stumbling block between me and being the mom or the wife, you know, that yeah. I had always hoped to be. I didn't really plan for this, this, yes. you know, so that's something else that I think has been so helpful, yeah. helpful, helpful for me, you know, to keep reminding myself too. It is it's not a choice, right? Exactly. Choice. Exactly. Yes, there Bang. are choices in it, but it's like, uh, we already have an extra stumbling block. Like we're yeah. starting here. And, and I, I love that you brought that up because yeah, me too. <laughs> one of the things that I struggle with is I get some messages and things like that, which is everyone needs to look at things differently, but yeah. that, you know, maybe our brains just work differently. Let's not call it a disorder or an illness. And I don't like those words either. Do you think I want to No, no. But for me, it's comforting because it explains some things because if those things weren't explained, then I put them that that is what I am, not what I live with. And it's been so helpful, not only for me to make that realization, but now to be able to go back to my friends and explain, yes, this is what was going on. This is how a bipolar mind can work. It's been so healing. I've had the chance to just explain that and have a friend look back and go, Thank you for connecting the dots. Yes. I was in the dark wondering, you know, have I offended you? Should I keep reaching out? And now that you've been able to explain that it was never about, you know, me personally, that you were not trying to avoid me. It was just that you were overwhelmed with even brushing your teeth on some days. And now here comes the silver lining. Not only have I been able to explain that and have them understand it, our friendship and my relationships are that much stronger for it. And I know that my friends understand me. They've been able to, you know, accept me the way I'm wired. And I've never been one for fluff or shallow, you know, friendships. And so to be able to now take my friendships to that level and know that I've been able to be completely open and honest and they're still in my life. It's priceless. It's been such a huge part of me, you know, moving forward, healing, accepting myself. So just yes. wanted to get that in there. Yes. And you know what? I talk about words a lot and I talk about words matter. And I think that um, claiming, like I could talk about anxiety and depression, but claiming the word bipolar or finding language to how I was feeling yeah. was freeing. Did it mean that all of a sudden I was like, yeah, I got my bipolar shirt, <laughs> right? No, it absolutely didn't. And even like the title of this show or a podcast um, terrified me and excited me because we want to show that, but I still, and especially in certain circles and meeting new people, it's a hard word. It's a hard word only because of stereotypes and we are here to make it I hope one day it's thrown around in regular conversation properly um, and that it isn't. I'm crying <laughs> because to be able to connect with you and find someone else that wants to make that difference too and for everyone else out there 
If you've just been diagnosed with bipolar, it is a scary word. I know it can be. And so yeah. our deepest hope, daily I'm losing it, but this just shows how passionate. This is why yeah. I'm here. This is why I said, who cares if a Google search under bipolar flashes my picture? I would do it all in a, again in a heartbeat. If there's, you know, someone out there that's stuck in that embarrassment or shame, not able to say it, um, it's okay. We're taking back the word. Stigma is being shattered. Things are so much better than they were 10 years ago when we were both diagnosed. Mm -hmm. um, so many people have come forward and it gets a little bit easier. I will admit it is still hard when I meet someone new or I mention that I've written a book and then I know the question's coming. What's your book about? <gasps> there is that moment of um, fear, um, you know, just the unknown. How are they going to react? But I think the more that we share, the more we normalize it, the more we put faces out into the world that we are fun, amazing, creative, intelligent, safe, um, amazing people, it's going to get easier every single time to the point where we don't even hesitate for a minute to say proudly without shame, you know, and I live with bipolar two disorder and you know, it's, it's not the, I, you know, I choose to focus on the pot. I could go on and on and on, but yes, we preach, are preach. You can tell we're very, very passionate about this. And you know what? That was so beautiful. Honestly, oh. I think like it, it touches like me to the, the core and the deepest level. And I feel the same as you because you don't think there's days that I panic that there's Google. Actually, I should use the word properly that I have severe anxiety about um, you know, and I'm same thing, like, oh, I have a podcast, or oh, I do this. What's it about? That freezing, right? Yeah. And yeah. I just love what you said. And I think honestly that this is the best place to end because yeah. I want your words to soak and in for me. And I think um in our next episode, we're gonna cover the week leading up and to our diagnosis. So we hope that you tune in. Um, when that comes out, because friends, we're here and this, this is bipolar. This is bipolar. <laughs>